You are listening to a message from City Church of Richmond, located in Richmond, Virginia. We are a broken people, loved by God, continually restored by Christ, and sent out to worship God, serve our city, and work for its renewal. To learn more about City Church and to find out how to get connected to our community, visit our website at citychurchrva.com. That's C-I-T-Y-C-H-U-R-C-H-R-V-A.com. And thanks for listening. And if you're a kid, I want you to come forward and we're going to have a special message for you up front. So you can come and take a seat on the stairs. There's plenty of room for everyone, so come on forward. I'm going to need your help as we get started with the sermon today. All right, find a place to sit. It's great to see all of you. So today I'm going to need your help identifying some things. We're going, to, we're going to talk about some stories and lessons that Jesus used when he was teaching his friends about what he was like. So on this little piece of paper towel, I've got four seeds. I'm going to show these to you. Can you see the seeds on there? Okay. Can you see the seeds? I'll, I'll walk them around here. See the four seeds? Yeah, don't see them. Yeah, that's kind of the point. You see them now? Ever, anybody else want to take a look? You see these little seeds? These are actually not mustard seed, but these are from a fig that I picked off a tree this morning. Those are fig seeds right there. So would, would, would you say these seeds are big or small? Right. That's exactly the point that Jesus was making. And do you know what a fig seed becomes? Yeah, you see, look behind you now. You see this tree I brought out? Now that's, that's a tiny little fig tree. That's just one that we keep in a pot. But from this little seed that you can barely see on the paper towel, it became a tree like that. And outside my house, I have a tree that's taller than any of you that came from a fig seed like that. And so here was Jesus' point. When he was talking about his kingdom, his point was, it grows. It grows from something so small like a little seed into a tree, and into a tree that birds can land on and build nests in. And that's what God's power and presence in our lives is like. It starts small, but it grows into something big. Okay, I've got something else to show you. We'll see if any of you can identify this. I'll I'll pour a little into my hand. All right. Does anyone know what this is? It looks like seeds. You see that? It looks like sand. It's not sand. We have a a plant in the audience over here. I'm going to wait until I get over there. You see that? You see this? This is, any ideas what that looks like? It looks like grain, doesn't it? Sort of like grain. Yeah, Hatcher, do you know what that is? It's, n- it's sort of like that. Do you know, Hudson? I stumped everyone up here. You want to see it? It's yeast. It's called yeast. And do you, does anyone know what yeast goes in? Smoothies, okay. Got to check that out at the Eubank household. <laughs> Cooking, yeah. It goes in bread, exactly. So what I have here is I have some flour in this jar. 
Okay, I'm going to add the yeast, and um, I'm going to add some more here, just because you can never, never have too much yeast when you're trying a science experiment during worship. And in here, in this jar, is just water. And so these three things are what makes bread. Flour, water, and yeast. And it becomes dough, yeah. And why do you think Jesus taught this story? What was his point? What does yeast do with the flour and the water? Yeah, Marnie. It mixes. It doesn't just stay on top, does it? It goes everywhere there's flour and water. That yeast is going to work. It makes something new. That's well said. It does make it sticky. That's true. And then you have to bake it to dry it out again. But here's the point that Jesus was making. Remember, he said, my presence and my power, it's like this little seed that grows into a big tree. And he's also saying, it's like the yeast that goes into the flour and it transforms it. It changes it into making something new. So here's what we're going to do for the, for the rest of the service. I'm going to leave this up here on the table. And I brought this rubber band to show where the dough is right now. And by the end of the service, if all goes according to plan, we'll see if it's grown, if it's transformed the flour. My hope is that the yeast will do its work and it will be bigger. So after the service is over, I want you to come up here with your parents and you can check it out, okay, and see if the yeast has transformed the dough. Make sense? Okay, so let's review. What was Jesus telling us with the seed? His kingdom does what? Grows. And then with the yeast, he was telling us his kingdom does what? Transforms. It does grow, but it transforms. Okay, so I want you to, when you go back to your seats, remember that. I'm going to talk about God's kingdom, Jesus' kingdom, growing and transforming. And you have to listen really closely because I'm going to say it does one other thing today. And at the end of the service, I want you to be able to tell me the third thing that Jesus' kingdom does, okay? All right, bow your heads. I'm going to say a quick prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for your great kingdom, that though it's small and hidden and almost invisible, it grows and it transforms our hearts, our lives, and this world. Help us to see the ways that your kingdom is at work. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you can get your clipboard and head back to your seats. All right, friends, I feel like I'm living on the edge up here. We'll see, we'll see if it works. Plus, if it doesn't, my, uh, my bona fides as a baker are going to be totally shot. We can't have that. Um, for those of you I don't know, my name is Eric Bonkowski. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church. And I'm so glad that the children were here for the start of the sermon and are going to be able to listen to the whole message today. We do this a few times a year, and it's a great blessing for all of us to have you in the service with us for the whole time. This summer here at City Church, we've been talking about life on the road with Jesus. And most recently, over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about signs on the road, signs of Jesus' kingdom on the road. And specifically, there have been signs that have said, watch out because judgment is coming. 
And there have been signs that have said, repent in light of that judgment that is coming. But today, as we turn to Luke chapter 13, there are more signs. There are three signs. Two of them I talked about with the kids. They're these stories that Jesus tells that uh, are signs of the kingdom. And then there's one more sign that's an enacted sign. It's an embodied sign where Jesus is teaching us what his kingdom is like. So if you have a Bible with you today, I encourage you to open to Luke chapter 13. And I'm going to read a few verses from this for us. I'm going to read verses 10 through 21 in Luke 13. And these words are also found in your worship guide. You can follow along there if you don't have a Bible with you today. Let's give our attention now to God's word. Here's what it says. Now he, that's Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And he said these things, as he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame and all the people rejoiced at the glorious things that were done by him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Father, we ask now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, you who are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. All right, so quick review. With the children up here, I talked about these, uh, these stories. I guess I, I left off the stories, didn't I? Well, I realize now. Um, So these stories in verses 18 through 21 that I didn't read, but I talked about with the children. The story of the seed that grows into a tree, that this is what Jesus' kingdom is like. And the story of the yeast that's mixed throughout the dough and transforms that dough. And though small, it has this great impact. So is Jesus' kingdom. Jesus is saying, my presence and my power it grows. My presence and my power, it transforms. And then we come to this other story that seems a little bit out of place. It's a story of Jesus healing this woman on the Sabbath. But it likewise is a sign of the kingdom. And what is, what is Jesus teaching with this sign? Jesus is saying, my kingdom frees. My kingdom frees people. So it's a kingdom that grows, a kingdom that transforms, and a kingdom that frees. And I want to focus on this last one, this last idea of Jesus' healing this woman. 
Now, before I get into the details of it, I want to say just a word about Jesus' healings because they can be confusing for us. We see throughout the Gospels that Jesus goes around and he heals people, but maybe that's outside of our experience. What is Jesus doing with these healings? Well, what he's doing is he's saying, this is what my kingdom is like. These are the char- this is the character of my kingdom. It's to free people to heal people. He's not saying that every single person in every discrete situation will be healed, right? You know that to be the case. You know people in your life who have not been healed. Maybe you are one of them, and you have longed to be healed. You've even asked Jesus to be healed. Jesus is not guaranteeing that in every situation he will heal, but he is saying, my kingdom brings healing. He is saying, my kingdom frees people, and, and by that, he specifically means spiritually. He means my kingdom frees you from sin and from judgment. Hence those signs of judgment in, from earlier in Luke's gospel. And he is saying fully and finally on the last day, all things will be healed through me. You see, these, are, these healings are signs. They are not guarantees in every discrete situation. But Jesus' kingdom frees. And I think the way that this story is told by Luke is so helpful for us because it talks about it in a lot of different ways. Look again through these verses and see how Jesus uh, differently describes what happens with this woman. Right? We're told that uh, she had a disabling spirit. She was bent over but then she was made straight. She was disabled, but she was healed. She was bound, but she was loosed. She was tied, but she was untied and led to water like the animal was. These are different metaphors, different analogies to try to show us what the freedom of Jesus's kingdom is like. So let me ask all of you a question today. Where do you need to be freed? Where do you need to be healed? Where do you need to be straightened so that you can stand up with shoulders back and held, head held high? Where do you need to be unbound and loosed and set free? There are a lot of examples of what this might be for you. I don't know your own story. For some of you, you have been bound by addictions for years maybe decades, and you want to be set free. For, the, for others of you, there, there's some sin pattern that is deep and feels habitual, and it feels like such a weight that you could never get away from it. For some of you, it's pride always lurking, that voice in your head that always wants to raise yourself above, above others. And for some of you, it's shame, isn't it? It's shame over what you did last night or what you did last year that follows you around like this dark, oppressive cloud. It's shame over maybe not what you did, but what was done to you. And how you think every moment in every conversation, if they knew about my past. And what does it do within us? What does it do to us? I think like the woman in this story, it causes us to bend over 
to keep our eyes on the ground. It's such a powerful uh, embodied image of what many of us are carrying around relationally and spiritually. But remember the good news. As Jesus is teaching about his kingdom, he says, my kingdom grows, my kingdom transforms, and my kingdom frees. So quickly, let me walk through specifically some of the ways that Jesus' kingdom frees us of our sin and of our pride and of our addictions and of our shame. Here's the first thing. It frees after a long time. Did you catch that? In this interaction that Jesus has? It's right there in verse 11. And behold, there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. Kids, for a lot of you, that's longer than you've ever been alive. That's maybe twice as long as you've been alive. 18 years this woman had been sick. Is there something in your life, some sickness that you're sick of? You're sick of being sick. You've seen the doctors, you've tried the treatments, you've tried the therapies, and you haven't gotten better. That's the kind of sickness that this woman had, and she was freed by Jesus. Is there a sickness? Is there a sin? Is there an oppression in your life that you have stopped believing that God could heal? Yeah, maybe he can handle other things, but I don't think he'll ever heal that. That must be how this woman felt. But the healing of Jesus' kingdom comes after a long, long time. Here's the second thing about the, the, the freedom or the healing of Jesus' kingdom. It comes by his touch. Did you see that in verses 12 and 13? The way Luke tells the story, he says, When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her. And then in verse 13, he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight. We know the power of Jesus. He is God incarnate. He could have healed in any way that he wanted to. And yet he healed with a touch. Because the freedom of Jesus happens at close range. Jesus draws near to us in our sin, in our pain, in our shame. When we feel ugly, when we want to go in hiding, when we want to bend over so that no one can see us, it's precisely then that Jesus draws near to us. Because freedom of Jesus happens intimately. It happens at close range. Kids, again, you know this. You know that healing happens through the power of someone who loves you. When you fall down and scrape your knee or you hit your head and you're scared and you're afraid and you feel so much pain, what do you want more than anything else? You want the embrace of your dad or your mom. And you go running to find them at close range. They don't just yell across the playground, oh, you'll be fine. Get some leaves. Right? No. They draw near to you in the same way that Jesus draws near to this woman because the freedom of Jesus' kingdom happens by his touch. Jesus is the subject of all the verbs. The woman does nothing. It is the gracious, initiating, personal, intimate touch of Jesus that brings the healing of the kingdom. 
Here's the third thing that we see about how Jesus' kingdom frees. It frees amidst opposition. Look at verse 14. It says, but the ruler of the synagogue, but the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus is healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, the freedom of Jesus' kingdom is always opposed by the kingdom of this world because it sees it as a threat. They don't like the way that Jesus' kingdom brings freedom and healing, and so they find something wrong with it. It says that the ruler of the synagogue, the man in charge, was indignant. That's not a word a lot of us use. It means he was ticked off. He was angry. And the Greek word there is like he's boiling with rage. He's so upset because Jesus' kingdom has brought healing and hope and straightened a woman who has bent over for 18 years. And there will always be voices that oppose the grace and forgiveness of Jesus' kingdom. That's how it works. He's angry, of course, because Jesus has done all of this healing on the Sabbath, on the holy day, on the equivalent of our Sunday. And this ruler of the synagogue is so sure of the rules of how we're supposed to honor the Sabbath and keep Sunday holy that he has forgotten about the woman. He completely objectifies her to prove a theological point, to make a religious lesson out of her and out of Jesus. You see, his eyes are closed to such an extent, as Jesus points out, that he treats her worse than he would treat one of his animals. Surely you would untie your animal and lead them to water, then why can't I untie this woman? from the disabling spirit that has afflicted her for 18 years. He's angry. We were talking about this this week in our staff meeting, and Jennifer had the the best example of what this might look like today. And it it may sound odd or inconceivable to you, but, but this happened within the last 20 years. They, uh, the Murphys were missionaries in Scotland. And they were a part of a church and there were some, uh, some, some very seriously religious people in this church. And the, the wife of one of the leaders of that church went missing one weekend. They couldn't find her anywhere. And so, as you'd expect, they sent out uh, teams of people to search for her. But then Saturday evening came and it got dark. And the husband of this woman... She called, he called off the search because it was a Sabbath. He stopped looking for his missing wife because he was so afraid of breaking the rules of God. What Jesus is teaching is that freeing people and finding people is the very work of God. And it's right and okay to do that any day of the week. It's not what Jesus, hear me carefully, Jesus is not saying here that the Sabbath doesn't matter. Remember where the story starts. He, it's, it's on the Sabbath, he goes to the synagogue and he is teaching there. 
He's doing what a good teacher ought to do. What a good preacher ought to do every Sunday. He's in the right place. It's not that he doesn't care about the Sabbath and says, you can do whatever you want. No. He is saying, you can't do whatever you want, but I guarantee what you can do is free people from the tyranny of Satan. You know, we, we twist this passage all the time, don't we? And we, we use it as carte blanche. I'm going to do whatever I want on Sunday. That's not what Jesus is teaching. But hear me clearly. If you are freeing people who are bound by Satan on Sunday, keep doing it. If you are proclaiming the grace that covers shame, if you are proclaiming the power of king, the kingdom that can uh, dethrone pride, keep doing it every Sunday. That is the work of God. That is the work of Jesus' kingdom. So the kingdom comes, this freeing kingdom comes in the midst of opposition. And the last thing it does is it, it frees to God's glory. Look at verse 17. It says, all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. When Jesus' kingdom frees people, people worship. People see that and they give glory to God. And this is so important. Here's why this is important. Because this idea of freedom that I've been talking about, it's very popular in our society right now, in our world. Freedom is, is ascendant, right? But it's a freedom that glorifies the self, not that glorifies God. And Jesus here, as he teaches about his kingdom, is saying, my kingdom frees and it brings glory not to self, but to God to me that's the sign of the kingdom of God bringing freedom that God would be worshiped that all people would see the things done by Jesus see the freedom he offers and they would give him glory a friend of mine this week texted me he said I've been sober for 11 months as of today he, he knew the kingdom of Jesus frees him from his addiction. And you know what he said at the end of that text? To God be the glory. To God be the glory. He gets it. He understands this point. That when we're touched by the grace of God, he gets all the glory. So let me ask you again, as we wrap things up, where do you need to be freed I asked you that question earlier. If, if Jesus' kingdom is a kingdom that frees, where do you need to be freed? Not through self-emancipation, but through the touch of Jesus, by His grace. For some of you, you need to be freed today for your own, from your own righteousness, from your own religiosity, because you're like the ruler of the synagogue, and you're looking down your nose at other people people in other churches, or people who aren't Christians, or people who are your neighbors, and don't do the things you do, or act the way you act, or believe the things you do, or vote for the people you do. Jesus' kingdom can free you from your self-righteous indignation. Jesus needs to touch you. Where are those places in your life? Others of you, 
Where do you need to be freed today? You need to be freed from your sin. And Jesus offers that freedom to you today. His kingdom is coming. He says, read the signs. My kingdom will free you from that. I've already talked some about addiction and how Jesus can free you from that. To God be the glory. Or your pride. To God be the glory. Or your shame. What would it look like for you today if you walked in here metaphorically bent over and hiding your eyes in shame? Oh, if Eric knew, if, if someone else knew, if they only knew about my life and about my past and about my yesterday. Friends, the kingdom of Jesus frees you. Here's the thing about Jesus' kingdom. We've all gone missing. But Jesus will never call off the search for you. Jesus, in another story, just a couple chapters ahead, leaves the 99 sheep to go searching for the lost one. He sweeps the corner of the house to find the lost coin. That is what the kingdom of heaven looks like. This radical, relentless pursuit of you until you're free, until you're healed, until you're home. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, it grows like the fig tree. It transforms like the yeast, and it frees like the woman bent over, but straightened by the touch of Jesus. May it be so with us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the various ways that Jesus shows us what your kingdom is like. I pray that each of us, by your spirit, would have the courage today to name the places where we need to be freed. Where we would long for your kingdom to come and grow and transform every part of us and every part of this world. We pray this all through the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.